0: Uh, It's great to be able to be here and to share some of my story over the last year that I suspect you can relate to. And I, I first of all, wanted to share just a little bit of a story because um, a year ago, September, so whatever, 16 or so months ago, um, I started in one of the men's small accountability groups here, and it became an, an important group to Um, my life and input to me over the last year or so. Several of them are here right now. Thank you guys for that. But I got a call as I was sort of reflecting over the holiday season and whatnot uh, from Scott Enright who was in my small group who asked if we might be able to help clean uh, up this place, this room after the women had their special Christmas evening a few weeks ago and it was a beautiful time. My wife really enjoyed that time of ministry and engagement, and it was, it was great. But as we were cleaning up um, afterwards and wiping down tables and moving stuff, and there was a point in which the, there were no chairs in here, right? They were around the perimeter, and there, it was just big and empty. And right then, the, the lights came up. And I could see that all over, there was crumbs and food and stains and you know all sorts of stuff from ministry time, right? And, and for me, I was suddenly had a flashback about a dozen years ago because I was a dozen years ago literally just returning from um, a month down in New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina. And our church denomination had mobilized some people to go down and help, and I was mucking out houses and i was helping people down in the wards and you know as best we could and you can you can imagine that the church that we were operating out of it's not too much bigger than this one suddenly has hundreds of volunteers for weeks at a time living in their church right and i was reminded that the pastor and the leadership of the church over a period of time attached a, a, a term of endearment to their, their building and they called it the Church of the Stained Carpet, you know, because it reflected, you know, they were Southern and proper and everything, right? I mean, you don't, you don't do this in my church, and, but God changed their heart, right? He changed their mind as to what the building was about as a facility to ministry that goes on. And and I was just hearkening back because that's what this place does, isn't it? In fact, as I was sort of thinking about that story, I commented to my wife and my wife said, you know, it's in the DNA of the name here. This isn't even called a church in its name, is it? It's Cheney Faith Center. This is a place of center of activity of faith, right? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. That's what this place is about. It's not being prim and proper and it's about let God move, and when God moves, often it's a mess. Right? <laughs> so, but it was it was great to just have that reminder. That's what this place is. And they and they and they do it well here. And I trust that. The knowing and growing and going that Cooper just mentioned is a reality in your life this coming year. Because as God moves here by His Spirit, it'll happen to you. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, um, I mentioned that I wanted to share a couple of things with you, and it's always dangerous sharing two ideas. I, I know. I've given enough sermons to know that when you share two ideas, it gets convoluted and it goes all over the place. And I, and I risk that. I'm, I'm hoping that you can stay with me today, okay? But I have two ideas and I have them because God moved in my life in a dramatic way over the last year. With these two teachings sort of echoing one another. And I think that I'll just say the first was... Um, a Bible study that came to us. It actually came to my wife and I at a critical point called Think Differently. It's Pastor James McDonald of Harvest Bible Chapel, Chicago. It's a large church in Chicago. And he wrote this, Think Differently. And it's nothing, subtitle is nothing is different until you think different, all right? It's sort of an in your face kind of feel. And I'll, I'll share a little bit more about that in, the, in a bit. But then the second, if you fast forward about 10 months in real time from December and January and February when I was going, working through this, to October and November when as a church, we here were going through Draw the Circle. And many of you experienced uh, sort of the fresh wave of God working in your life through prayer. And really, until you pray different, there's nothing different. And the, uh, the quotes, I, I took a couple of parallel quotes from this. And James writes in here, in Think Differently, what you think dictates what you do. Even if you want to change, until your thinking changes, nothing really changes. You see, we, um, we've had so much formation from the world, and it's self-protection, and it's, it's self-promotion, right? And yet, until we fundamentally think differently about what's happening inside us and in our spirit life, nothing really changes. We're going to end up sort of defaulting to what we've always done, because it sort of gets us along. And then what we read um, from Pastor Mark Batterson in Draw the Circle was, what you pray indicates what you believe about God. And he quotes Tozer. You remember this a few weeks ago? uh, It was in the message. You know, Tozer says, what you think about God and what you believe about God becomes the most important thing to know about you. And what we pray indicates that. And he adds... And this is not a small thing, he adds, and winds up what you do. You see, so they both end up where they both start. It's really, it was very curious to me. Ten months later, I'm seeing the parallel between how we must pray differently if we're going to be different. And unless we think differently, we're never going to be different. So this challenge, God sort of book ended 2018 (laughs) with these two challenges to me at a really critical time in my life. Well, with that in mind then, I want to share just a couple of thoughts, really a couple of verses from each author and see if uh, you can appreciate the context that I had. Let's pray for just a moment. Father in heaven, I ask that um, you would allow your spirit to be the interpreter of what I am sharing in the next few minutes. That your spirit would come into us in a way that is important and new and fresh. And we thank you for accomplishing that. We pray in your name. Uh, those of you who know me know that a, uh, last winter, as I was uh, an interim pastor at a small community church on the South Hill, uh, I was also in a time relationally with my wife that was, I guess I would call a stalemate. Um, we had been married over 30 years. Um, we certainly appreciated each other, and we, had, um, we were living in the same house, and we were both working different places, and we were both tired, (laughs) and our kids had just moved out. Um, It's amazing what happens when you become empty nesters, and we looked at each other and said, who are you? (laughs) And my wife looked at me and said, who are you? (laughs) You know, and it was right at that time when both of us realized we need to have a fundamental shift in how we're thinking about each other, that literally this came in the mail. That was God's humor, (laughs) right? Uh, um, It turns out that my my mother-in-law, who didn't know what was happening in our house at all, their Bible study group over in Seattle, they live in Issaquah, they had just finished this 10-week series by James McDonald, and they were so excited about it that she bought one for each of her kids (laughs) and mailed them to us. And in the 10 weeks that it took to process through, um, my wife and I had a pivotal change in our thinking regarding both our personal and relational experience. God was so kind and merciful to us in this. But I wanted to share these couple of um, scriptures because uh, they're so powerful. One, is Proverbs 23.7. I wanted to share a couple of thoughts, really sort of dissect a couple of the phrases in here. And then, um, of course, if you're in Iwana, o- how many have been in Iwana? you've memorized this verse, right? Pro- Proverbs 23.7a, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? That's the King, New King James Version, I think it is, so. Um, but as simple as this verse is, there is some profound truth here, right? And the first is as a man or woman um, thinks. So what we realize is that God designed humans to first encounter what we experience with our brain, with our mind, all right? So what we think is important. How we approach how to think is important. Uh, Cooper was kind to mention that I've been in graduate work with philosophers. I'm telling you, philosophers sit around all day, and they really do sit around and they think about how to think about how to think about things. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I was blown away. You know, you sit with them and you go, yeah, just, just give me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> or something. i it's, uh, but, but it's so important because unless we think differently, we're not going to do anything different than what we've been doing. We're going to survive, eke out existence our whole life. And it's interesting that that James MacDonald, basically, in this book, answers this one big question. Why is it so hard to think differently? Why is it so hard? And what we'll find here in a few minutes is that each of us, first of all, finds it difficult to think because it's hard. <laughs> and, you know, I, my wife and my kids are so kind because I'm a verbal processor. So I have to say something before I realize that that's what I'm thinking, right? Do any of you have verbal processors around you? Okay. Um, you know, when I say something, I realize, oh, that's what I mean. And, but, but we're supposed to think deeply about this and use the the mind that God's given us to think in new ways. And, and he reminds us that it's hard to think new, it's hard. And then secondly, that we create strongholds in our lives, right? We're gonna talk about those more in just a moment. But so as a man thinks, as a person thinks, that directs where they're going and then he says, in his heart. So as a, as a person thinks, in their heart. So what does that tell us? Literally, the original language is that it's the way you think within yourself is how you really believe, right? So what this means is, is uh, that we all can learn that what it looks like we're thinking on the outside and what we're really thinking on the inside can be different things, right? It it is interesting to me that if you look at the context of that Proverbs 23, the context that he takes it out of is a banquet that the king is hosting. So you have this uh, grand, banquet with all of these officials. Right? And there's, uh, you know, uh, department heads and corporate execs and state senators and, you know, who, representatives and whatever. Right? And They're all around the table and everyone is oh so smiling and polite. Right? But, but inside, literally in the New, New Living Translation it says, inside they're considering the cost about what they're hearing. You know? There's always an angle, right? And in, they're smiling, but on the inside they're like, okay, what, is he, what does he really want from me? Right? That's what's going on inside. And so Solomon has the wisdom to say, as a person thinks in their heart, inside themselves, that's what you really are, right? We all, we all realize that. We all realize that. And it is critical that we not be naive, right? Because some people like to pull it over us, right? They sort of make a living about doing that. Solomon's just saying, be aware. But be aware of what's going on in your heart, because that matters. This phrase also indicates that um, there is a practice that we all tend toward, and that is sort of faking what's really happening. I, um, my other mother-in-law uh, recommended that we watch a Christmas movie. Uh, For some reason, we watch Christmas movies as a family. Our our favorite is the now about ten-year-old Hallmark musical remake of *A Christmas Carol*. I mean, it's great, great film. But um, she recommended that we watch a movie called um, *Hitched for the Holidays*. Has any of you seen this ridiculous movie *Hitched for the Holidays*? Okay, several of you. Okay, the whole plot line is about two young adults who try to figure out if they can fake their own parents into believing that everything is okay because they've got a boyfriend or girlfriend for the holiday season, right? The whole movie is that plot line. And and so the whole thing is built on a pretense of what uh, is not really happening, but what they're trying to make look like happen. It is funny, it's hilarious moments. And fortunately, through the course of the movie, the writers of the movie made it work out so that there was character development in each of the people. So that at the climactic scene of the movie, they all confess what's actually happening. And everyone not only is relieved, but everyone comes to a new awareness that they really didn't have to do that in the first place. Right? They didn't have to do that. Well, can you find yourself in that? Um, So as a person thinks in their heart, it turns out that's really directing where you're going. And Solomon says, beware. Don't let that happen to you. Don't be in a pretense all the time. God doesn't work in pretense, God works in realities. God is a God of realities, it's awesome. God is the most real of any of us, right? Why would we be afraid? Well, there's a, a second scripture that um, James MacDonald works through in Think Differently that I thought then that I, I wanted to bring to your attention and that is some of you are very familiar with the scripture, it's 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. And uh, I think we have it here, we can, you can read it with me, I'll just read it out loud. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, Paul, as he writes this, assumes we're in a battle, right? And he assumes that we're walking in this physical reality and as we're walking in this physical reality we need to be careful not to wage war in this physical reality as our primary source of weaponry right so if somebody makes you mad you just don't you know smack them right that's you don't do that right because that's not what god would have you do that's a physical weapon response unless you're me and i can hardly i I can't hit anything without getting hurt so But we have this um, war going on, and we're not using weapons of warfare that are the flesh, but we are using weapons of warfare that have divine power to destroy strongholds. I want to pause here for a second because there's another scripture in Ephesians 6. In fact, Pastor Mark led us through this not too long ago. And in Ephesians 6, it uses a very similar phrase. And so I was uh, mindful of that when I was looking through this. But in Ephesians 6, it takes it a different direction. He takes this to weapons of warfare, and then up into realms of spirit realms, of spirit entities that have downward influence into our lives. And that's a very important understanding, right? Because there are, in fact, spiritual entities that will seek to confuse us and accuse us, right, in our lives. But I've sort of always thought that that was sort of what this meant in this verse. But it's not. I was wrong. This verse actually tells us what it's about and where the source of the war is. Look at this. It says destroy strongholds. And then... It describes the strongholds. And look at this. We destroy arguments and every, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, or the true knowledge of God, or the true way of knowing God, I would say, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let me ask you a question then. Where are those three activities taking place? Where are those strongholds exhibiting? The arguments, the lofty opinions, the thoughts that need to be taken captive. They're in our minds, right? They're in our minds. This is where the warfare occurs in this scripture. and. McDonald looks carefully at these strongholds. Some of them he calls strongholds of disposition. It's interesting. That's another word for personality, right? Some of you have personalities that are light and bubbly, and you can meet people and enjoy meeting a number of folks. And, and you know, and, and that's sort of like me, right? I was, I was born with that personality, that's sort of who I am. But that's not my wife, right? <laughs> In God's humor, my wife has a, a personality that she likes to talk with someone one-on-one, right? She's going to drill down, right, until she finds something where they can connect, something that, that reveals something, right? That's you know, so, so we all experience people who are very different t- to us by personality, in our disposition. And God created us with those personality traits, right? What happens is over the course of our lives we have to protect things, right? We, we find that we make our own personality strengths our dysfunction, <laughs> right? <laughs> it becomes what is dysfunctional about us. What Paul reminds us is that we can't let our strongholds, those things that we find in arguments and lofty opinions and thoughts that we need to take captive, direct us. We have to combat this, right? And boy, did I, did I understand this in, in spades. I mean, we've got our own dysfunctions and we've got strongholds that come from our family of origin, right? And, and we've got just, you know, th- then you add deception into the mix, right? <laughs> and, and you realize that Satan's three primary strategies have never changed since the beginning of time, right? They are temptation and accusation and deception. If you're tempted, the scripture says, we know that there's, there's strength that God provides, right? Because there's no temptation that it overcomes Man, that's not common to man that we can't overcome in the power of Christ, amen? And then accusation, we can come back and lean back against the identity of Christ that we can um, relate to. And then the deception, if you begin to operate as if something's true that's a lie, you're screwed up, <laughs> Right? I began to see, for myself, that I was thinking about things in ways that actually weren't true. And if I base my actions on that, then I need to change what I'm thinking. And God was kind to allow that, to be, that process to begin to happen. Notice, as well, that... Uh, these arguments and, and lofty opinions and thoughts. When, when I talk about arguments, what do, you, what do you think of when you talk about arguments? Anybody? Okay, interesting. We're gonna get there in just a second, okay? So rationalization, but what else about arguments? Being right. Oh, yes. <laughs> 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 I love being right. I am so good at being right. (laughs) I was on the debate team for a while in college. Boom. But you know what? I'm not right, right? Not nearly as much as I think I am. The word argument literally means that we're staging our reasons so that we can take advantage that's what arguments do, right? It's, a, it's talking about having this dialogue, and it's combative, and it's offensive, and it's looking for ways. And you, somebody's talking to you, right, and you're smiling, and you're thinking, okay, how am I going to counter that point? How am I going to counter that point? Does anybody else do this? Am I the only one that does this? I, okay. <laughs> but but that, that's a stronghold. And Paul's saying, you have to let that go. You have to release that. You have to humble yourself and let that go. You are not going to outthink what God is trying to do with you. Right? Not going to happen. Secondly, lofty opinions. Right? So this idea of my way is better, that's what happens with lofty opinions. It's not necessarily, you know, it's right. I'm I'm right. It's like my way is better better. It's just, you know, think about this way. This, this, you, try this. Can't, I can't even count how many times I've said that to my kids. Maybe you ought to think about doing it this way, right? Because I think my way is better. And all of us, just by human experience, think those kinds of ways, right? I mean, it's common. But here we go. We've got lofty opinions. I, I like Doing it better. If I if I if this wasn't the best way to do it, what <laughs> I'd do it somewhere else, right? And those are lofty opinions that we build about ourselves. And God's saying, those are strongholds. The battle's in the mind. You have to be open to new thinking. Second, or third, now then, thoughts to be taken captive. And you know, there are some things every once in a while that surprise me, right? And I suspect that there are things that surprise you. And every once in a while, I'll be, I'll be at work. I'm a contractor, um, acting as a contractor presently. And something will happen at work. Some uh, a workman will say something. An accident will happen. Something will happen. And, you know, and I'll respond, and it's like, and then I have to check, put myself in check, right? It's like, where did that thought come from? Where did that come from? And I'll ask I'll even ask I'll pray I'll stop and pray and say God where did that thought come from? It wasn't from God. It was from me. That was my flesh, right? And so we're we're finding that we need to have a gate guard <laughs> over thoughts. And some of you may have seen movies, you know, like the Marvel movies and, you know, you have gate guards. I, I love, what was the gate guard in Thor? The, the the bridge guard, remember him? Big hat, you know, big guy. I mean, when I think of a gate guard, I think, I, okay, I, I think I'll take him. I'll put him on my team. And then, um, but then there's other movies, like, you might be reminded of gate guards like in Princess Bride. And that was, that was another story. but. Anyways, we've got, we have to take thoughts captive. We have to put thoughts in jail that aren't from God. And God's going to work through that. That that way God is going to allow us to be thinking differently. And unless we think differently, nothing's going to be different. With that in mind then, I wanted to go to point two, right, author two. Fast forward 10 months. The Lord worked on me hard at the beginning of 2018. And, and, uh, and then I, I encountered this draw the circle. And I know that you've been listening to it for, for a number of weeks. But there are some things that I was challenged by and encouraged by, and I think prepared by God to put into practice. And I thought, you know, that's God's kindness too, right? He brings us to places where we're sort of thinking differently about things, and then he'll bring us new insight, and then we're ready to respond. And that's sort of what happened with me. Uh, I found Mark Batterson's book profound in its simplicity. It was just simple. Um, As we pray... (laughs) We are changed. Uh, we Yes, God's listening, but the, perhaps first and foremost, we're changed. And I, I loved this about his comparison between ASAP and Alat prayers, right? It's the prayers that we utter and that I know that I've been particularly good at. It's like, God, change this now. Whatever it is <laughs> that's, that I'm facing, you know, it's like, this needs to be changed. And it's, it's almost like I'm saying something, I'm stating something to God rather than actually appealing to his authority, right? And yet what Pastor Mark Batterson points out is that they learned as a congregation to begin to recognize God's movement over time and that as long as it takes We circle in prayer, and we come back to prayer. And I find that helpful. One of the examples that was used in Draw the Circle was a character in the Book of Acts named Cornelius. And again, this was mentioned not too long ago, and I just thought I would echo briefly, is that he actually writes, Cornelius prayed regularly. And you have to understand a couple of things. First of all, who, what mother in her right mind would make a name Cornelius for their son? You know, I don't know. That, that just gets me right off the top. But um, maybe he became a seasoned Roman soldier and warrior because he was having to fight kids in the school ground over his name, I don't know. But, but here you have a seasoned warrior Who's assigned to a battalion in a city? And he is a tough dude. And all the scripture says is he prayed regularly. He was, as scripture says, was a God fearer. He didn't know who exactly God was. You know, he grew up and he grew up with a pantheon of gods, right? The mythological pantheon of the Roman world but he knew something wasn't right about that. He said, God, I don't know who you are, really what exactly you're about, but I know you're in charge. (laughs) As far as we know, that was probably his prayer every day. It just says he prayed regularly And God came blazing through the heavens and came to meet him one day because he prayed again and again. That is the kind of prayer that I want. You'll you'll see that praying regularly and praying fervently are cousins. I know that a few weeks ago, uh, this passage in Luke 11 was also alluded to. And in Luke 11, we have this woman who's realized that she's had a wrong done. And she's trying to appeal to the local magistrate, to the local judge. And he doesn't want anything to do with it. It's like, lady, get, you're crazy. Get out of here. you know. And he, he rebuffs her several times. Right? And she keeps coming back. She keeps appealing. There was this earnestness about her prayer and ferventness in her appeal. Right? And Jesus was teaching his disciples to approach God in this manner where they're serious and earnest and fervent. You know why? Because she couldn't change it. She knew that he had to change it. Jesus was teaching his disciples. They knew that God had to change it. And when you come to a place where you know God has to change something, now you have God's attention, right? Because God knows He has your attention, right? I keep saying that word. I'm not sure if that word means what I think that word means. So um, we don't do the miracle, God does the miracle and we pray fervently. And we expect sort of this work that only God can orchestrate, right? And as we experience that answers to those kinds of prayers, we expect more. Um, but I wanted to share just a little story, and this, this is the kind of thing that God does. This, was actually, this actually happened um, just a couple of months ago, um, just after we were starting the series, and my uh, the, the life team that i'm in presently and uh, as we started engaging the prayers in this book and, and how god was t- speaking to each of us individually god began to refresh us in our in our life group our life team and um one of the things as i have learned is that if you're a contractor a truck is an important thing okay I don't, I don't drive a big truck just because I think it looks good on me, all right? I need a truck, right? And uh, earlier this spring, I traded up from a Dodge Dakota to a Dodge Ram, okay? So you Chevy guys, I'm sorry. Forgive me. The, the, the truck that I bought was just about four years old, and it was, became very clear to me as I was purchasing and walking through the paperwork that there was no warranty on the truck, okay? That I was just purchasing. It was, there was, it was as is, no warranty. And that was okay with me. I just thought, you know, I think God will protect me. And, and he did protect me from myself <laughs> uh, until I took a load of concrete in my truck this summer, and I put a ton of concrete in a half ton truck. And shoot, I, it was just a few weeks later that I heard this ringing in the back end of the truck. It was like, OK. And I was afraid. I, I threw up an ASAP prayer, right? God fix that. And. I, it got louder over the ensuing weeks, right? And um, I was trying not to pay attention to it until one day, you know, a couple of months ago. I mean, you could hear it accelerating and decelerating. I mean, I knew something was bad. I finally went to um, Oil Can Henry's. If you have been there, right? And had them do a lube check, and all of my the, all the fluids in the truck came back great, except for the back differential. And he actually showed it to me. He said, on this little paper towel, he showed me. And it was gray. And there was metal stuff in it. it was frothy. <laughs> you know, It was like, oh, somehow I don't think the rear end lube's supposed to be that. So anyway, I broke down. And finally, I made a, I made a call to Dishman Dodge. And they said, I think uh, there's a, maybe a problem <laughs> with my truck. That's <laughs> me. But I didn't say that. And, um, so I knew that it, there was no warranty on it. And I said, why don't you just take a look at the back differential and see what you can take? So, so on the phone, I made an appointment. They said, oh, we'll try to get you in a couple of days. And then it turns out they couldn't. So they scheduled me uh, about five, six days later. And, and I said, well, how long is it going to take? Because I use my truck every day, right? It's my living. And, and they said, well, if you come in right first thing in the morning, then we'll get you right in, and we'll get it taken care of. So I showed up that morning, early, and I walk up to the service writer's desk, and he said, oh yeah, okay, Mr. Hettrick, you know, here you go, and said, well, we, we only have one tech here right now, and I'm um, sorry, but uh, we'll, we'll get it in, but we probably won't even be able to take a look at it until like 11 or 12. That's what I said very uncharacteristically, I said, what? <laughs> I was told on the phone something different, and I was trying to contain myself, right? It was like, I can't, leave. I can't have that. I, I need my truck, and I certainly need it before three or four hours from now, and I'm sorry, i got to go. Unbeknownst to me, God was smiling, and he had someone walking in five seconds. As this conversation began to ensue, about 10 seconds maybe behind me was one of the guys here in the church, Chad Huey. Some of you know Chad. And Chad and I have gotten acquainted over the last year, and uh, Chad knew the service writer behind the counter. And he walked in, and in this very awkward moment, sort of without knowing anything of what was just transpired, put his arms around me, makes a joke, and he said, you know, who who else are they going to let in here, or whatever, you know, it's like, uh, and the mood changed. Everything changed. He backed up a couple of steps. I backed up a couple of steps. He said, you know what, um, you know maybe we can get it in. I'll tell you what, I'll try to get my tech to look at it first and at least diagnose what's going on. He made a phone call. He literally got on his phone right there, called the tech in the back and said, hey, can you look at this? He uh, hung up and said, yeah, we'll take care of it. Like that. About 30 minutes later, when Chad and I were in the waiting room, you know, The service rider walks by, I'll never forget, he walked by, sort of tapped me on the shoulder. He looked down at me and he goes, the back end of your truck is toast. (laughs) It was disheartening, but not surprising, right? And and then he said, but I think I'm going to be able to get this under the factory powertrain warranty taken care of. What just happened, right? I mean, this doesn't happen. And in fact, he confirmed a short while later that he was able to get that work done. I had a new ring opinion gear put in the back of my truck. While they were at it, they, they replaced both exhaust manifold gaskets. I had over $1,500 worth of work on my truck that I was told I had no warranty for for free, right? Amen? That's how, you know, Lord surprised me. That's what God does. Sometimes he shows up and sometimes he shows off. Right? And it still amazes me that neither of us were supposed to be there at that time. Neither me nor Chad. Right? So, So we pray regularly and we pray fervently and we pray and God shows up. There, then secondly, I wanted to go to, a, to another really important truth in, in prayer, praying expectantly. And we can pray with great anticipation as we experience what God does. I remember thinking about this ex- experience at the Dodge dealer for a few weeks, right? And that gave me a boldness to begin to pray differently. It's like, you know what, God's gonna take care of us. He's gonna take care of me. By by the way, I'm gonna, this is Echo, this is free, I didn't say this for service, but do you know, I had to get a rental car, because they had to work on my truck for like two and a half, three days. And they called Enterprise Rental Car, with whom they have a relationship, and he said, is it possible that we might be able to get a truck? And, and the person on the phone said, the truck? We don't have trucks here. We, we, we have. You want a minivan? <laughs> she said, you want a minivan? We'll get minivan. you a know, minivan. Do I want a Ford Fiesta? Yeah, I want to put my l- lumber in a Ford Fiesta, OK? GL Metro, whatever. And, but no. Do you know what pulled up about 25 minutes later in front of the Dodge dealer? A Dodge Ram 4x4, four door. It was the same truck that I had, only three years younger, (laughs) and didn't have a ring in the back end. And I drove that thing. It was great. I think they were trying to figure out how, if they, (laughs) anyway. (laughs) So, but, so we're going to pray expectantly, right? We're going to pray with anticipation. It's almost like sitting at the edge of your seat. I don't fall asleep now when I pray. It's like, God, you know, this is sort of fun because I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that as far as I can see with my limited scope, I can see this. Can I please appeal to you? But can you accomplish what I can't even imagine? Will you do that? I know you want to do that for your children. And we pray with expectancy because we have conviction that God does provide. Amen. And we pray with great dependency because precisely because we lack resource. Now, uh, Pastor Batterson makes it clear throughout the book that as we pray, we're also working, right? We work as if it matters to us. We pray as if it matters to God. And I understand that. But those come together, and they dovetail together beautifully in how God works. Well, I thought I would share just one more illustration, because this this next one happened just a few weeks ago. And this is mind-boggling. Several of you know that I've been on the biggest project that I've ever been responsible for. And it's at Moody Bible Institute's Aviation Program down at the airport, uh, the, the municipal airport of Feltzfield, and uh, Moody Bible Aviation trains pilots and mechanics for areas to minister in areas of the world where there aren't regular plane landing strips, you know I mean their, their landing strip is somebody's back cow field, you know and And they teach pilots how to to land in places like that, and mechanics to airframe mechanics to to take care of things when they happen to land in a field like that. But um, I was fortunate. We had a pre-development plan of about eight months with the city. And I was at the city and getting various uh, permits and approvals and architectural plans approved and all of this over many months. And then finally, at long last, we were able to start the project. Now Just about seven, I guess about seven weeks ago and about three and a half weeks ago, we were at a place where I had framed up we had done a lot of prework the electrician had come in and done the electrical work and the h the, the air handlers had done the HVAC prework and everything was ready to go for the the it guy the the tech guy from Moody to accomplish all the tech uh, development within the building. And they had thought, although he's, a, he's very expert at what he does, he's done this in other buildings. There's, um, he's a genius when it comes to CAT 6 and audiovisual, OK? It's just the way he is. For months, we had planned that Moody would get an owner-occupant permit for the low-voltage um, work at the project. Um, He had bought 6,000 linear feet of CAT-6. He had bought and installed carrier uh, rings for this throughout the project. Um, We were ready to go, and I said, you know, you, you need to just call and just get the permit. It's time. Well, he called, and the city said, Um, we don't show Moody Bible Institute, Moody Aviation as owning the building. And he said, what? And he said, right, we take our property assessment off the Spokane County assessors page. And if you look at the Spokane County assessors page, which they were very kind to tell us several times over the couple of days. the name that's there is Spokane City Airport Authority. (laughs) Because the airport authority owns the ground, even though Moody owns the building that's there. Does that make sense? So no kidding, um, Jason couldn't get the permit. And I thought, well, okay, well, don't worry, I'll call him. And after I was done talking with the supervisor, right, I was told the same thing. It was like swing and a miss. And she, she and he said, no, we can't prove that you own the building. So they, uh, we started sort of backstepping and trying to figure out how can we prove that we own the building. And they called uh, the the Airport Authority Administrative Office, and they said, well, we, we pay a lease payment on a regular basis to the Airport Authority itself. They, they know that it's Moody Aviation. They certainly will understand. And for a third time, we heard, no. So that's when we got an idea. We held a prayer meeting. <laughs> right? We had several uh, their leadership come. We had a. We just prayed and said, "God, we don't know what to do, but this was really fast, hard break right in the middle of a job. Right? I mean, it's everybody stopped. Boom." And I remember that night going home with my wife and saying, "Honey, let me tell you a little bit what's going on, and we need to pray." And I remember that both she and I prayed. God. You know how to sway the hearts of kings. Can you do something that we obviously can't do? Change some minds. I found out that several others prayed a very similar prayer. The next day, the next work day, I received a phone call at about the time I was about to make a call to Spokane City. And I was shocked to hear um, these words. I said, Mr. Hedrick, um, we've had uh, a meeting about this at Spokane City. And we called Labor and Industries. And about then, I I had a heart attack, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because for those of you who are in construction, you know, when Labor and Industries gets involved, There, it's an act of Congress, right? To do anything in that point. But I'll just just read you an excerpt of the email that I got, Okay. Good morning, Steve. Thank you for contacting the City of Spokane Development Services Center and for your willingness to do whatever is necessary to acquire the proper permits for low voltage wiring. Doesn't that sound politically correct? I just love that. <laughs> Upon consideration and after discussion with the Department of Labor and Industry's compliance inspector, <laughs> the city has agreed to forego Chapter 17 G.010 of the Spokane Municipal Code and allow Moody Aviation to obtain the permit for the low voltage wiring. <laughs> it's like, yes! And then, And then they had to add the reason. This one-time exemption is being granted per L&I's agreement not to levy the up to $10,000 fine, WAC 296-200A, penalty against the city for not verifying Moody's contractor registration and allowing them to act as owners of the building to obtain the permit. So in short, the L and I threatened to charge 10,000 bucks to the city of Spokane. No wonder the city of Spokane said, ah. Uh! <laughs> and then we prayed. And then the next time they talked, it was, you know what? We get it. We'll let them do it. I had to get that in writing. <laughs> I actually said, hey, you're going to put that in writing? <laughs> Do you understand? That's a miracle, right? That's a miracle. There is no reason that they had to sort of work around the laws, right? They had no reason to do this. We prayed. We appealed. God, you have to do something to change hearts, because we obviously can't. That's with expectancy. That's how God works. He loves to work. So when you experience that, you begin to pray differently. I hope that over the last few minutes, I've been able to um, sort of whet your appetite, right? I've been able to, I hope, to share some things that God's been doing in my heart this year. That I've begun to think differently. I began to release strongholds that I haven't before. And that God's been kind to bring some things to me that, that I can act on in this coming year, right? I trust, as the Holy Spirit's interpreted this to you, that you can act on these things as well this coming year, amen? Would you stand with me and let's pray.